sound effect. Did you hear they're talking about hydrogen? I did hear that. Yeah, they Olivia, shout out to you. Yeah. Yeah, I like hydrogen too. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, do you think you could start us out by telling us what you think about hydrogen? I think it's a gas. <laughs> what? I think it's fabulous. <laughs> I think okay, we're made you. Of it. <laughs> you said we're going to have lightning bolts. I did say that she back said, there. I said, what's going to happen now? She said, we're going to have lightning bolts. But I didn't I thought, know you had well, that. Well, I brought the thunder. <laughs> I amazing. Didn't know a that. spring, a tube. And a little shake. You know, you're really good at that. When I was younger, uh-huh. I asked uh, my parents, "So, what makes thunder?" That's a good question. And you know, they said something about lightning, the air, and things. No, it's one of these. <laughs> the thunder gods up there just having fun. <laughs> Thunderbolts. Okay, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we need to get down to business now. Okay. So uh, that was uh, a good introduction, and I'm, I'm thrilled to see some of the science fair projects that are coming in. We're getting some really amazing ones. And science fairs are a good way to learn how to use your abilities and your training to do good things, right? Mm -hmm. Did you have something you wanted to say, discuss, admit? <laughs> I don't want to admit anything. Okay. With that admission, <clears throat> we'll, we'll move right forward, won't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, good. Actually, uh, there is something that I think we, we do need to talk about for a minute. Okay. Um, in fact, I hope this is going to be one of the important discussions. Okay. I think it might be, especially if you say some really good things. Some really good things. <laughs> you know, I said it first, but when she said it, it was sad, wasn't it? That's right. All right, well, here's the deal. Okay. So spring's coming. Um, immediately we start thinking about fishing. Yes, right? already. And so imagine you had a big net, okay. and you threw this net out into the, into the water, Mm -hmm. And then you pull it back in, and there's no fish. I can imagine that. Try it again. There's no fish. How many times would you do that with no fish? Me, personally? Uh-huh. A few. A few, yeah. <laughs> After a while, you get really discouraged. You know, I started my fishing career at the road in front of our residence. I was really, really young. My fishing pole was a stick with a string on it. My lake was a mud puddle. And my hook was a closed safety pin. Okay, you were really young. I made it myself. <laughs> and I fished and fished and never got a bite. But you know, when you fish and you don't catch anything, pretty soon you get discouraged mm -hmm. and you kind of give up. Well, imagine now someone throwing the same net out in the water and they pull it in, and they've got a few fish. And you count them. There's enough for dinner, but there's not enough to sell at the market. Mm -hmm. So you try it again. Oh, enough for dinner tomorrow. And that's, that's nice. That's okay. 
And then the third example, you throw it in. Help me, help me pull it. Help you. <laughs> oh, you're strong. And you take them to market and you sell them. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. In every case, we threw the same net into the same water, but it's what we got out of it. And you say, well, what, what's that analogy supposed to mean? Let me think of something. <laughs> I'm sure you've but got it. It's like a cellus. Because a cellus is a place that you come and fish for knowledge. And you go spend a half hour, an hour doing a lesson. And what do you take away from mm. that lesson? Do you actually capture fish or knowledge that you can take with you now in your life? Or do you have an empty net? You know, what do you get? It's really an interesting and an important question. To me, it's extremely important that the students that use the cellus get some fish. They get something they can use out of the effort and time they put in the cellus. I came prepared to make a point. Sure this is something that some of you probably don't recognize. It's a book. <laughs> They're becoming a little bit obsolete. This book says Fundamentals of Physics. And this is the book that I used in my first year, actually my first and second year of university studies to learn physics. And it's a famous textbook. It's been used for many, many years. It's called the uh, Holiday and Resnick Fundamentals of Physics books. When I took this class, I had a rare privilege because my professor was one of the authors of this book. Wow. This very, very famous book continues to the state. Now, it wasn't Halliday, it wasn't Resnick. Oh. He's one of the junior authors. His name happened to be Dr. John Merrill. Uh, I think we found a, a picture of Dr. Merrill. You, would you like to meet him? Mm -hmm. Oh, here he oh. is. Hello, Dr. Merrill. There's my guy. And he is one of the most exciting physics teachers I ever met. And uh, this is a good book. This is a physics book that really gets into explaining science, physical science, or the physics science, using the calculus tool, which means you can get into it much deeper than you can with just something like algebra. And I enjoyed this class very much. But I, I have an important uh, point that I want to make. And this goes back to a true story. When I was in this class and we were going through these chapters, the book's extremely well written. It's a very, very good book. I was excited to take this class because the only way you could take this class at the university I attended was if you were majoring in physics. They had other physics classes. They called it physics for non-physics majors. And we had chemists and all oh. kinds of people <laughs> taking those, right? But this book with the real good juicy stuff, it was only for people that were majoring in physics. And they wouldn't let me take it oh. because I was majoring in chemistry. But I wanted the real stuff. I wanted the good stuff. So, I changed my major to physics so I could take this class. Is that legal? Well, 
it was kind of interesting because you just fill out this card, at, you know, when you're doing the registration, and uh, I ended up with five majors five. for the very reason that I wanted to take the good classes. So I had chemistry, physics, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, because those are the things I wanted to learn about. Well, anyway, I was in this class, and I would read the book, would go to the lectures, and Dr. Merrill, who was an amazing teacher, would explain these things, and if there was something I didn't understand reading the book, you know, I'd raise my hand, and it was a small class, there was about 30 of us in the class. And then one day, he came to class and he said, next week, I'm going to be the speaker at a scientific conference out of state, so we will not have class next week. And to keep us on our little schedule, he had a, a reading schedule that he'd given us at the beginning of the class, to keep us on schedule, we're going to skip the chapter on the first law of thermodynamics. And the class just went crazy. Yay! Why? Because they say that that's a hard chapter. <laughs> a lot of math in it. It's a hard chapter. And they were just thrilled. Wow, we're going to get through. And I looked around at those guys and I thought, man, they just want a piece of paper. I want some fish. <laughs> I want something for this class. And I raised my hand and I said, hey, thermodynamics is why I took this class. You can't skip that. And wonderful Dr. Merrill, I don't know if he remembers this, but he said, I'll tell you what. You come and see me and I will teach you thermodynamics after class. That was the best break I ever could have had. <laughs> because he was a wonderful teacher and he went through and taught me about thermodynamics. What is thermodynamics? Well, that's about reactions and things that happen and the energy that's used in those reactions and how it takes place. Now, I had already learned about thermodynamics in chemistry. But thermodynamics in physics to me, was very different than chemistry. You say, well, how can that be? They're the same thing. No, they're a little bit different point of view. In chemistry, when I learned about thermodynamics, there was no calculus. So it was kind of a simplified version. And it was a good place for me to start. But this was going to take me to the next level. And I really wanted to learn it. And I did. Later, I took thermodynamics in chemical engineering, and I took thermodynamics in mechanical engineering. And they were completely different things. So I had four versions of thermodynamics, even had different formulas. They call it the same thing. All of which were different, or pretty much all mm -hmm. of which were different. But in engineering, they, they're still trying to find out what solid state is. They don't have solid state. In, in chemistry, we do a reaction. We put some of this with some of this, it reacts, it gets all done, we wait for it, reaction's done, and then we see what happened. But in chemical engineering, we don't want to know what's going to happen when it gets done. We're going to keep making this process going because we've got a big plant. Everything's dynamic, it's changing. Mm. So the formulas are much more complicated. And it's interesting. Well now, thermodynamics, became something that I took away from this 
this class, and I was very grateful for it. Years later, I became interested in hydrogen as a commercial viable fuel for cars. And the problem with hydrogen is, how do you store it safely on board a vehicle? In my high school science fair prize-winning hydrogen car, I stored the hydrogen in welding cylinders. And the hydrogen gas was in there under pressure, like you know when you inflate a tire, only a tire is maybe 30 pounds pressure. My tanks were 2,200 pounds pressure. Over 2,000 pounds pressure. I, my car, as some of you may recall, was a, a hydrogen fuel Model A pickup truck. And so I had the tanks in the back of the pickup truck. Fortunately, I never did have anyone get in an accident with me and rupture those tanks. It probably wouldn't have been very pretty. And a lot of people were using high-pressure hydrogen to fuel a car. Well, I wanted to do something more safe than that. A couple of researchers at Brookhaven National Laboratory in Long Island, New York, a national laboratory, reported in the literature that they had been doing some experimenting where they reacted hydrogen with metal. And the metal they used happened to be a, an alloy of iron and titanium. And they did it on laboratory scale. In fact, here's some iron titanium alloy. It's a, a powder. And this is exactly what they experimented with. And they found that the hydrogen would react with it. Now this is where we're going to put on our chemistry hats for a minute. You don't have to mess up your hair, Bob. <laughs> okay, we've got our chemistry hats on. Okay. And look, I have a molecule. This is a molecule of whatever you want to pretend it is. It's one of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's one of those. So let's just think about it. When an atom reacts with another atom and, and kind of sticks on there, which works better if I get the magnets together, then we call it a molecule. Let's tear these apart for a minute and pretend that this one This one right here, right you see this one, uh -huh. is sodium. Sodium's a metal, okay? And let's pretend this one is chlorine. Chlorine is a gas. Chlorine is poisonous. Yeah. Chlorine will kill you. It's, it's a poison. We use it to kill germs in swimming pools and things like that. Sodium is a metal, but it's a strange metal. When you get sodium in your chemistry lab from the store and you get it out, the sodium is metal, but it's always stored under oil. There's a little dish with oil in there, and it's, un it's submerged in the oil. Hmm. And I said, why is, it under, why is it under oil? And the professor got out, cut a little slice off, and dropped it in a flask full of water. And it boiled, and it burst into flames. Oh. It's very reactive with water, so you put it under oil so it doesn't react. Nasty stuff. Chlorine. Ha! Poisonous. But if you stick them together, then they combine, they bond, they get into a relationship. <laughs> and it's sodium chloride. That's table salt. Oh. 
This is that metal that bursts into flames, and this gas that's poisonous. And when they're together, you just put it on your watermelon. It's pretty good. <laughs> and if you're eating watermelon without salt, I got to say, you're missing the flavor, okay? <laughs> but not too much, okay? So a molecule has a very different property. Now, when chlorine and sodium react, they form a very strong bond. They're hard, I mean, <clears throat> they're hard to pull apart because they've really latched on. They're kind of like <clears throat> really mushed together, and they're hard to separate. But some compounds, like metal hydride, let's take our sodium and pretend this hydrogen, put these together, they're very loosely bonded. The bond's very weak. It almost falls apart. This real tight bond, chemists call an ionic bond. The very weak bond, chemists call a covalent bond. When you take chemistry, you'll learn all about those, okay? Well, this stuff, this metallic powder, if I react it with hydrogen gas, it becomes metal. I call it metal instead of iron or titanium because it's both. So I could say iron titanium hydride, or I could just say metal hydride. When this reacts with hydrogen, it goes from metallic silver to white. It turns white. You know, when sodium is under that oil, it's silver. Chlorine is colorless. You put them together, and salt is white, kind of like this. Hydrogen salt, kind of. Hydrogen plus metal hydride. The neat thing about this is you can store much more hydrogen than I can get in those 2,000-pound pressure tanks. It just it pulls the hydrogen right in and holds it. And this bond holding the hydrogen to the metal is weak enough that I thought I could use the radiator water, which is warm, to break these bonds and free the hydrogen when I needed it to drive. I thought, man, this is going to be an amazing solution. So, I built a prototype, and the prototype was a tank, and I, I want to show you a picture of a, of a metal tube that I'm going to pour metal hydride into, and I filled these tubes up with metal hydride. So, can you imagine that? A pipe and this powder, which I actually made the alloy myself because I need to have the exact amount of titanium and of iron, put them together, melted them, made the alloy. When, when you have steel, you know, it's kind of hard. We build buildings and cars and things out of steel. Titanium is even stronger for the weight. We use that to build airplanes and things of that nature. But when I put them both together in an alloy and it came out, it still looked like metal. But when I hit it with a big sledgehammer, it just shattered like glass. So I ran it through jaw crushers and I made it into this powder. And if you can look for a, I'm looking for a picture, and it's a narrow piece of pipe, and we're pouring hydride into it, okay? Looks like we're getting real close I now. Love we're getting close. Oh, like we got it. Here it is. Take a look at this. Can you see that? Yeah. So if you look at those pieces of metal falling into the pipe, they're, the big ones are about the size of a pea. Okay, and then some of them are finer. So you pour it into there, and then you seal off the end of the pipe, and you put hydrogen gas in under pressure, 
about 500 pounds pressure to charge it, and nothing happens. Hmm. That was discouraging. And that's what some of you are finding out from your science fair. Good science doesn't seem to happen on the first try. <laughs> or the second, third, and fourth. Sometimes it takes a bunch. But then I found out that if I would pull a vacuum on that hydride, hook it up to a vacuum pump, suck out all the hydrogen, clear down to a vacuum, and I would heat it, then I'd let it cool, and I put hydrogen back in it, some of it would start reacting. And when it started reacting, those little pea-sized pieces, they'd blow up like popcorn and get into a very fine powder. And I had to charge it, put a vacuum on it, charge it, put, I'd do it three times, and I called that process activation. <laughs> because after it was activated, it worked thousands and thousands of times. But for the first time when I was making it, I had to activate it, and I found out from carefully studying it that what was happening is those little clumps of iron titanium were oxidized, mm -hmm. and the oxygen coating was like paint that wasn't letting the hydrogen in. But as I heated and, and pressurized it, heated and pressurized it, it took the oxide coating off, and then it would charge. So I had to do that. Well, now I'm getting to the real interesting part. So I actually put this in a car to see if I get enough hydrogen out to run the tank. And first thing I had to do was charge it. I had to fill the tank with hydrogen. So I hooked up the hydrogen line. I turned on the gas at 500 pounds pressure from my tank. And it did charge. But it took almost a day. And I thought, well, that would be fun to be at the recharging station <laughs> for a whole day. That'd be like charging a battery. No. Who said that? <laughs> Throwaway comment. Okay. That was not said in this I discussion. But anyway, it was too long, and I had to figure out how to make it charge fast. People, people are busy. They can't spend a lot of time. And an advantage of hydrogen cars is they refuel quickly. Well, now I went back to thermodynamics, and thank goodness, Dr. Merrill took time one-on-one -on -one to help me through this really important chapter. And you know what? If I hadn't had that one-on-one, -on -one, I don't think I would have learned it near as good as I would have just reading the chapter. <laughs> He's a really good teacher. But with the thermodynamics, I found out that the reason that the tank was charging so slow was because when the hydrogen started to react with the metal, it gave off heat, and the tank got warm. And when it got warm, it stopped the reaction. And I'm just sitting there waiting for the tank to cool down. That's why it took a whole day. So if I could figure out how to get the heat out of there faster, I can make a charge faster. Now, it turns out that this is an extremely difficult heat transfer problem. One of the hardest you can ever imagine, because when it's metal like this, it conducts heat pretty fast. When it starts turning into the white hydride power, when it starts getting charged, it almost doesn't conduct heat at all. So it changes as you're charging it. And I started trying to figure out how to calculate 
the heat exchanger design to put in my tank. I need some way to put in the heat when I'm driving to get the hydrogen out and to take the heat out when I'm charging it. And it turned out to be one of the nastiest heat transfer problems I've ever seen. So what did I do? Well, first I did what I always do. I gave up. <laughs> but then the next day, you we're so did. close, we're so close. Yeah, only for a while. And so I went to the library and I started research. Now the internet was still down <laughs> because no one has invented the darn internet yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm going through these Amazing. catalogs looking and I found a book about heat transfer. It was for mechanical engineers and it was for graduate students. It was really, really advanced. And I read about this book and it sounded to me like this book had the science I needed to be able to solve this problem. And for you guys that have engineering backgrounds, I'll just mention the formulas in this book had variables to the fifth power in the heat transfer problem, which some of you know. <laughs> so I tried to, to digest that, and finally, I tracked down the author. And I said, hey, uh, I'm trying to build one of these, and I'm looking at your book. Can you help me? And he said, sure, what do you need? And so anyway, one month later, I hired him. He was a professor at Texas A&M University down in Texas, and he left there, and he moved up to join my little company. His name's Dr. Don McKay. And he wrote the book on heat transfer, and he helped me build the world's very first successful metal. Would you like to see what it looks yes. like? This is Dr. Don McKay, and there he is. And for the rest of the career, he spent right in my laboratory helping me build these things. Now, you can see the tank. I have those tubes inside there, and the blue mm -hmm. is a shell around the tubes. And in this first prototype, I didn't use the cooling water, I used the exhaust from the engine. So this was like my muffler, and I ran the exhaust through the tank, and it worked, but the exhaust turned out to be a lot hotter than I needed. So on the next one, made it quite a bit simpler. But Dr. McKay was, was a, an amazing person with an amazing capability. With his help, I was able to go on and, and build two buses that store hydrogen metal hydrides. We made a, a special tank for a post office Jeep, and we delivered mail for the United States Post Office using hydrogen stored in hydrides and all these different things. And you could recharge a tank in about 10 minutes. And what we had to do is we had to find a way to get the heat out of there when it was charging. If we could get the heat out faster, we could recharge it in less than a minute. And I think maybe someday we'll, we'll figure out how to do that. I think metal hydrides are gonna solve one of the main problems with hydrogen cars. And interestingly, it would have never happened if I hadn't learned about thermodynamics and found out that what I had was a heat transfer problem. Some reactions are limited by what engineers call kinetics by the reaction of, of the substances. Other reactions, like the hydride reaction, are limited by thermodynamics, by heat transfer, getting rid of the heat and getting the heat back. So it's important 
to be able to learn to know these things. I would not have had a chance to get through this chapter on thermodynamics if it were not for the fact that Mr. Lawson, my algebra teacher, taught me Algebra 1, and then he liked me so much, next year he taught me Algebra 2. Because <laughs> he liked you. I'm huh? not sure he liked me. <laughs> you know, Mr. Lawson was a no-nonsense guy. Oh. One day I was taking a test, and it was an algebra test, and in there with the whole classroom and my stuff, and, and I had this bad habit. Sometimes when I wasn't paying attention, I would start chirping. <laughs> and he was up walking around. I wasn't noticing. And he finally figured out it was me. And he says, what happened, Mr. Billings? Did they serve bird seed in the cafeteria today? <laughs> yes, I remember that teacher. But uh, he was a good algebra teacher. And... Then I had a great opportunity to learn calculus, and that gave me the ability to do these things. In a cellus, when you throw your net in, which means you invest your precious time, part of your life on this earth, you invest it in these lessons, I want you to pull out a giant-sized load of fish, something that you can take with you to build your hydrogen cars, or whatever your life stream might be. And I, I'm very passionate about that. Uh, when I started the Cellus, my, my dream, my goal was that we could build something that would use the latest technologies in, in computer science to help students learn more, better. That was, that was my goal. That was a long time ago. And today, as I see some of our students coming out and, and doing amazing things, and it's not just one or two of them, it's, it's millions of students coming out and really making a difference in science and technology and accounting and music and other things, it's just really, really, really a thrill to see that this dream is starting to come true. I've been meeting with our Celis development team and saying, guys, Next year, we've got to come out with an Acellus that is 10 times better. 10 times better than we've ever had before. And they're working so hard, some think I'm a slave driver. <laughs> Why are you laughing nervously? <laughs> but you know what? Um, I have the privilege every day of working with a group of people that are absolutely devoted to the kids they work for. And they really care. And the people that don't really care about the kids don't last long here. The ones that really do, they love it. And we're making it so you can catch those fish with every, with every minute you spend in doing a cellus. But you need to do your part. If you got a net that'll catch a full load, but you won't throw it in the water then how can you catch something? And all of these guys that cheered because they didn't have to learn thermodynamics, how many of them invented hydrogen cars? How many? <laughs> and, and that's the point. You, you don't want to go to school to get a piece of paper. You want to go to school to be empowered 
like lightning and thunder, to do something exciting in your lives. And, you know, it's up to you to decide what your mission is. That, that's not our job. Our job is to empower you. Now, we're filming new classes, lots of new classes. Um, some students have been going through the lesson. They watch the, the lesson on the video, and then they go do problems, and sometimes they need to go refer back to the video. And I, I've been telling our people, you know what? The that isn't how Solus works. The way it's meant to work is you watch the lesson and you learn from the video, and then if you need to refer back, you go to the textbook, which is built into a Solus, and it goes with the video. It's much quicker to go through a written book when you need to just go back and check on something. And so I've been telling students that, and they say, well, sometimes the textbooks don't have all the information. Don't. <laughs> so we now have a mammoth project mm -hmm. to really, really upgrade our textbooks. Our textbooks have to be sensational. And my goal for the beginning of next school year is that we will have better textbooks than we've ever seen before, and they'll tie together. So you watch the lessons. The lessons are getting better. Uh, we're finding wonderful teachers, and we're finding that when they teach a lesson, they put down on Cellus, a million kids interact with that lesson, and some of them do well and some of them don't. Then the teachers look at it and they say, wow, I thought they would get that. Well, I'll teach it different next time. And so they film it over and over and over, and it gets better and better and better. But now the textbook will help, and then vectored instruction kicks in. It's starting to work real well. And then we have a whole new generation of Acellus. The new Acellus is all brand new, fresh code. <laughs> Nothing from the old Acellus will be there. It'll all be the new stuff. And we have a wonderful programming team that are working extremely hard getting that ready on time. But boy, when you, when you turn up at the beginning of next school year, you say, wow, wow, where's this Acellus been? And truth is, it hasn't been anywhere. <laughs> but it's, it's going to be the best of the best times 10. And I, I really think we need to do that. Why? because we're teaching absolutely precious students. And they need to be empowered like students never before. Our world is more challenging. Things change so fast in this world. You say, oh, how can I ever do anything? I just go do it and someone else did it. Yeah, do it faster, <laughs> do it faster. In so many fields, being the first is the difference between success and the first loser. Oh, you know, yes. number two. The first loser is that guy. So study, 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 study as though your future depends on it because I really believe it does. And I, uh, I have one other thing I want to I share with you real quick. I, I brought a table of elements. Let see if I can get this on my... My top camera here. Okay, be nice if we zoom in just a little bit. So here's the periodic table of elements. And these are all the different elements. Like the first one up here is hydrogen. Hydrogen with a symbol H. Hydrogen is one proton 
in the middle of the atom with an electron going around. It's the simplest atom, right? It would be a good fuel. Because when you burn hydrogen, it becomes water. There's no pollution, no global warming, just water. Okay? And you can use it over and over again. You make the water back into hydrogen, you use it again. Well, then you go on down. If you take two protons and put them in the heart of the atom, two identical protons, and put two electrons going around, then it's not hydrogen anymore, it's helium. Hydrogen burns, helium doesn't. Helium fills balloons for kids at parties. Helium floats like hydrogen, but not as good. Helium's light, but not as light as hydrogen. Then you go on over, and the next one is lithium. Lithium has three protons. If you put another proton in the middle, just stick one more in, grab another electron, it's a whole different material. Beryllium, boron, carbon. Every time you add another proton, it changes into a different material. A lot of what we use today in chemistry started out way back, way back in the Dark Ages in a quest by alchemists trying to turn lead into gold. They tried all kinds of things. They found cheap lead, common lead, and they tried to do things to it to turn it into gold. And it's interesting, uh, lead is almost the same number of protons as gold. And yet, it's not nearly as valuable, is it? One of the elements that's real close to gold, even closer than lead, is mercury. Mercury has 80 protons in the nucleus, 80 electrons, and gold has 79. And it turns out that last century, some scientists found out that they could turn mercury into gold. And how could they do it? They just shot high-energy particles, neutrons, protons, things at the mercury, and they made gold. Yep, and there it is, one atom. <laughs> they, they had a real hard time making enough to measure with an extremely good balance, not enough to sell. But it just showed that, that gold and mercury and lead are all the same thing. It's just they got one more in there. Learning about chemicals, about materials, and learning how you put new electrons and things and the way you stick them together. And if you want to make this molecule, then you have to make this one first. And that's chemistry. That's what chemistry is all about. Chemists are the reason we have all of these chemicals and things because they make neat stuff. They know how to manipulate chemicals. And after they figure that all out, chemical engineers, which they're kind of like cousins of chemists. In fact, most chemical engineers start out studying chemistry first. But then what they say is, if you can do that in that test tube, I can do it in a giant plant. You can make a few sips. I can make tons of it. And so there you have it. Yeah, the things that we are able to learn are going to completely change what kind of life you have. And if, if there's a message to take from our discussion today, Peje, mm -hmm, and then you need to pay attention. I am. I'm speaking especially to you and these <laughs> <Okay>. students. <laughs> Trouble. 
Well, we go off the air. I'm, I'm going to leave early. <laughs> but anyway, if there's a message to take away, it's that this knowledge that you're acquiring is the prize. And it, it's hard work to learn. It's hard work to tone and build muscles. It's hard work to build this muscle, the brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> I'm not talking about my hair. It's, yeah, this is just painted on, you know. <laughs> it's hard, hard, hard to develop your brain, but it's worth it. And, you know, when, when I uh, first got my elliptical exercise machine, I cranked up, let's see, that's a good number. Uh, maybe I'll try 20. I got on there. I couldn't even push the pedal down. <laughs> so, I wonder how one works. <laughs> oh. So I had to gradually build it up. And that's the way this muscle, our, our brain works, is you have to train it. You gotta get it working. It, it's almost impossible at first, but don't give up. Don't give up. Einstein said he had the hardest time even learning simple math. <laughs> Einstein? Yeah, that's what he said. He says, no matter how hard you struggle to learn math, I struggled harder. How does he know how much I struggle? <laughs> it's relative. Anyway, <clears throat> the point is, when you do it, when you develop your mind, you're going to be able to remember things, you're going to be able to grasp concepts faster. Meanwhile, the wonderful self-development team and your teachers are coming at you with better and better and better and better teaching so that you can just grasp it. We're going to have super smart people by the time we get through with this Acellus thing. Mm -hmm. and, and in this world, you're going to have to be to be able to compete, to cope, to be successful, to enjoy all the things of life. You got to be smart. Okay, it's her turn. Oh, we're out of time. <laughs> They want to know where they can get this book. This book, yeah. Fundamentals of, mm -hmm. of Physics by, yeah. it is available everywhere, bookstores. It's a very, very popular book. And in fact, you can buy an online version of this. We use this book to teach physics at IST. Mm -hmm. So if some of you want to enroll in this course at IST, we have an online version that you can, you can get. And, um, we're, we're working right now to get a, an opportunity for students to do some of their early college work online through IST. But this is a great book, and I highly recommend it to you. Fundamentals of Physics by Resnick, and uh, Halliday and Resnick. It's a very, very good book. By the way, Dr. Sanchez, who was the first doctoral student at IST, used the same book as me, only she was like, five generations later. They just keep putting out new editions of this every year. It, it just goes on and on. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks.